Hello, everybody, and this is another episode of podcast Tandem Coaching Academy is Keeping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational. We are your hosts today, Alex Goodenough and Sherry Silas, and today our guest is Olaf Levitz. He is remote work pioneer, trust artist, lover, leadership coach, and founder of Trust Temenos Academy. So, Olaf, I'll give it to you to kind of to add to that headline. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, th thank God I do remember where I wrote this. Um, okay, yeah, I'm, uh, I used to be a software developer um, in another century. And uh, through some career changes, I became a boss for a brief period of time. And then I became a consultant um, for about 10 years traveling, mostly Germany, but also parts of Europe, uh, consulting organizations on change management processes. And then I discovered something that was called Agile Coaching in 2010, when somebody dragged me along to a thing called Agile Coach Camp. I had, as a developer, I had started doing XP. So I've, I've, I've started with Agile in 98, um, before it was actually called that. So I am kind of a veteran, but I wasn't connected to the community earlier. So since 2010, I've been connected to the Agile community. I discovered coaching, um, joined Agile 42, uh, learned agile coaching as a craft, so to say. Um, great experience, great place to work. And since 2013, I've been independent as a trust artist because I uh, learned uh, my, my uh, independence um, endeavors and my, my considerations to become independent. I learned that I sh shouldn't be the best at what you do. I should be the only one who does what I do. Uh, there was a gaping void cartoon that I really took to heart. So I, I tried to find my own job name, job description. And Seth Godin uh, famously wrote that if you provide experiences, experiences that give people an opportunity tr to transform, then you're an artist. That was his definition of being an artist. Um, so that's where that come from. And uh, I have a knack for trust. I have a knack for um, increasing the level of trust in people and themselves in each other. And I wanted to figure out how that worked. So I boldly labeled myself the trust artist. Uh, I was using from the beginning uh, a method called Temenos by Siraj Sirajuddin, who uh, developed a personal development team development course with a lot of drawing and big colorful flip charts. And I've extended that method to uh, incorporate in leadership trainings and personal development courses that I've offered. So within the Agile community, I've been um, called someone who focuses on hardcore agile um, or, uh, or on human-centered agile. Um, I've spent the last years uh, discovering how trust works, how human beings develop, how human beings relate. A lot of, a lot of what I do is uh, relationship work. Uh, I will start a new education to actually become a systemic therapist this autumn. Uh, autumn. So that's, that's kind of my journey and my trajectory. And uh, yeah, and I offer services as an agile coach um, in, in various, various ways, mostly in, in terms of mentoring leaders and helping, helping people develop. So agile coaches and those who are not watching our videos, it's like quote unquote agile coaches. So, and you got dragged into that agile coaching conference 10 years ago, hopefully not with much of yelling and screaming. And no, 
And no, I was quite happy there. <laughs> and 11 years later, still going strong. And we chatted before the podcast, uh, you started your Orsk journey. So mm-hmm. what keeps you going? What keeps you kind of... Uh, motivated to dig deeper into the area of agile coaching or even kind of systemic therapy? Um, curiosity about, about humans, uh, about all of these different idiosyncratic ways in which we deceive ourselves, in which we uh, stand in our own way, in which we uh, want something but seem to do everything in our might to not get it. <laughs> Uh, and this is true for individuals and for organizations. And um, I, I love um, helping people figure out what they love and what and to, to, to love what they do to make, make it possible for them to love what they do. Um, and uh, Orsk is, uh, since you've been asking for that specifically, it's, it's, it's an education that has been on my mind for many years. I've worked with a lot of certified OSC coaches in my c- career. Uh, so I've seen a lot of their tools, I've used a lot of their tools, but I kind of never got around to actually doing the courses. And uh, an opportunity came up. I was, uh, I w- I was interested in, in doing it. I had time for it. So I thought, hey, why not? It's, it's virtual now. I don't need to travel. It's, it's, it's low investment. And it's definitely going to be fun. So uh, I, I joined the course. And uh, it triggered a, a topic uh, that has been on my mind for years, but, but prominently uh, in, in, uh, in the recent two years with all of, all of our focus on uh, diversity, inclusion, safety, and all of these things in organizations, in meetings, and in, in, in the way we, we treat each other. Um, because I was, I was uh, observing, as I am observing in many meetings I join, uh, not only online, like how do, how do people set up a, f- a safe space? How, how do people host spaces that are welcoming to everyone? And uh, things that I noticed, uh, for instance, in, in that training were that um, when you hear principles like everybody's voice is the voice of the system, or everyone is right partially, that's great. Um, and I, I totally believe that. I don't, I don't want to criticize these principles at all, but it, it, uh, it turned out that they can be used in an unsafe way. And uh, one of the things that happened was uh, at some point in the course, I was a little confused in, in terms of what's going on, why are we going where we're going, why are we doing what we're doing? I was in a breakout group with, with two other people and uh, I shared that. And it was quite a daring thing for me to share that um, because everybody else seemed to like everything. Everybody else was like, yay, yay, yay. And I was like, it's, it's, this is not the big, best weekend of my life yet. <laughs> Something else needs to happen for me to be that enthusiastic. So I dared to share that feedback and there were the, the the two uh, other students were like, yeah, totally. We are, actually, we also have no idea where this is going. And we had a bit of a sense-making around this. And then coming back from the breakout room, uh, they asked us to share. So I said, yeah, in, in my group, we were a little confused where things are going. And then uh, they asked me first, um, is this your opinion? Is this the opinion of your group? And I said, well, all of us were confused. 
And then they said something like, well, that's another voice of the system. And I was like, um, yes, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but it also felt a bit condescending and dismissive. And I, uh, I was wondering like what's, um, like, what are the things that we need to attend to, things that we need to pay attention to um, so that people feel uh, welcomed and safe in, in conversations. Mm. And that's how uh, the topic came up uh, when Sherry asked me like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? I said, okay, that's something I'm really curious about right now. So let's talk about that. That's awesome. So I think you bring out a really great point here about there is a difference between recognizing voices of the system and honoring each voice of the system. And so how would you, how would you say we can honor voices of the system rather than just acknowledge them and say, yep, that's a voice, which could be condescending? So what I would have wished in, in that situation and what I also would have done if I had been a facilitator in that meeting, I would have said something. So Olaf is confused and apparently people in his group were confused. What does anyone else have to say about that? So that other people could say, well, we're not confused. We don't know what's going on with that guy. And then I would, I, I would have known my place in the system. And that's sometimes a good thing, right? Um, it would have been, uh, it, would, it would have not felt good, but it would have, it, it would have been okay because I have voiced my concern. My concern is an individual concern. I can stand back with the group and say, okay, this is not an Olaf experience. This is a group experience. But it would also have given the opportunity for other people to say, yeah, yeah, we would actually like some clarification too. And then the leaders could have said, okay, our bigger picture is this, we're moving for this outcome. And then everybody would probably after a minute or two have said, oh, okay, so that's, that's where we had it, that's fine. Um, so I think um, what, what needs, and, 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 and this is the difference between just using tools and, and having an awareness of integration. Integration is the first word that comes to my mind. It's like, how do you, um, how do you integrate your stance in a way for instance, that first of all, everything that happens in the room is okay, right? It's, it's okay per se, that you, you don't make anyone wrong. But then depending on what they do, it might have different significance. So um, if, it's, if it's an individual point, you need to check if it's an individual point. If it's something that violates a rule, um, for instance, if somebody, if, if somebody is rude or um, if somebody is sexist or whatever, you want to you want to set a boundary and say, "Hey, um, we agreed not to do this, or uh, we we uh, didn't yet agree not to do this, <laughs> but I would like to raise attention to this thing, and I would like to I would like us to agree not to do this." This reminds me of a funny thing that recently happened in a in a training I led. Um, people were checking in in the second morning, so a group was fairly well acquainted. There was a, was a good level of trust. And one of the last persons to check in said something like, um, actually, let, 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 let me not, it was a bit graphical, so I, I won't, I won't, I, I won't uh, quote him. He said something uh, 
about his him, himself and his wife that was okay to say in the workshop, but it was also very off topic. And uh, he he checked in, everybody said, welcome. And then another lady who hadn't checked in yet said, oh, now I have this, this vivid image in my mind or something like that. And I was like, what's happening now? What do I need to do? Do I need to tell him off? Or do I need to ask her if she needs help? Or is it, is it wise of me to draw more attention to this now? Or do they manage it themselves? Are they adults enough to take care of this themselves? So what I did was I wrote her a direct message asking, is there anything you need? Um, I didn't get a response, so I thought, no, I thought it was okay. I got a chance to talk to her later. What had happened in the background was that he had also reached out to her and apologized and said, uh, I hope I didn't, etc." And she was like laughing and she, she didn't take it very seriously. But to me, it was a nice example of, yes, the, the, there are boundaries and they need to be flexible. And we need to be aware of like, what are the things that need to be taken care of, right? How much attention do you give to something in a group? Um, what do you, like what, one important role we play as leaders is what do we make salient in a conversation? Or what do we let become salient in a conversation so everybody pays attention to it? And one thing that I really like in facilitation is when somebody does something that I think is out of line, I don't tell them that's wrong, but I say, hey, uh, he said, he, he just used this word to describe you. Um, how, how do we want to deal with this? If there's no explicit rule, um, but then sometimes small things happen and you don't really know, do you want to pay, do, do you want the whole group to pay, to pay attention to this? So, so um, I'm, I'm uh, repeated, repeating that I, I believe in principles and one principle I believe in I did, did a lot of work with Christopher Avery last year to prepare a session on psychological safety to, for the Agile conference that then didn't happen because of COVID. And our main message in that session was that you are responsible for your psychological safety. Your psychological safety is mainly your own responsibility because you can have two people stand at the edge of a high building, but on the top at the edge of a high building or at the edge of a cliff, one of them feeling entirely safe, one of them feeling entirely unsafe. Safety is a matter of perspective. It's a matter of um, how you perceive uh, and interpret the situation. And um, there's only so much anyone can do to make you feel safe. You need to, you need to take care of, of, of your own safety. That's something that I very much believe in. But then of course, there are also um, th there are external factors that we can control. And if we have responsibility for a group as leaders, um, we need to, uh, for instance, establish boundaries. Um, we need to make sure that people can, uh, can rely on those boundaries. For instance, that we say we do not accept sexism. We do want honesty. Uh, we do, do not interrupt each other. Um, when we get into conflict, we, uh, we pause and we, we pay attention to that tension instead of avoiding it, things like that, right? And uh, that's, that's something that we can add to help people take responsibility for their safety. 
or we can't make them feel safe. Yeah. So Olaf, I've I've spent some time with you and meetings and different things like that. And one thing that I have noticed working with you is that you have gone out of your way to make sure in several instances that I felt safe um, mm -hmm. and I felt protected by you. And so that brings me to what if you're not the leader in the group? How do you handle a situation when, when there may be a bit of unsafety for people? Do you remember an example? I'm, I'm grateful for that feedback. <laughs> but I, yeah. but I'm, not, I'm not sure I remember a situation where I specifically did something that helped you feel safe. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious. That's because it's just your normal way of being. In this instance, um, someone basically verbally attacked me um, for whatever. And, and mm -hmm. I, was act I, I mentioned it to the group. And um, it was just, it was your reaction. Like, that's not acceptable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them. I'm going to talk to them about it or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Because you should not have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't. I don't think it needs. Uh, it, it needs positional authority um, to 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 do that. Um, I think I remember that instance now. So I think I uh, I remember uh, who who we talked about, and it happened to be someone that is who who who's closer to me than than to you. Uh, so that gave me a sense of agency, like I can do something about this because I have a relationship to that person that I can use to, um, to have them listen to me and pay attention and help them see your perspective more easily than maybe you could because of the, 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 the previous uh, encounter. And also I had more interest because if I had been you in that conversation, I would have lost any interest in helping that person improve because of how they treated me. But because I know them, I had a belief, uh, I still have actually, <laughs> um, I, I have a belief that, that, that they can do better because I've seen them do better. I happen to know that this is not how they want to show up in the world. And uh, I, I had this assumption, and this is a fairly general assumption that I have hold about human beings. Like when they do bad things, they uh, still somehow have good intentions, even though their strategy might be twisted. And uh, the, so I had, I had the assumption that when I talk to them, I will, I will A, uh, help them see how that behavior didn't help them achieve their cause. And uh, is, is quite detrimental to their success in the long run. Plus, um, yeah, help them correct. Um, so, so I had this sense of A, agency. This is some, something I can do something about and B, responsibility uh, because, I, because I felt, because I, I know that person better. Um, it's like my calling to do something about it rather than anyone else's. And so, uh... <clears throat> There are so many places I want to go from here, but uh, you kind of touched upon this couple of times. So I want to explore this a little bit deeper. Uh, when you were talking about um, 
safety and uh, actually figuring out uh, what the boundaries there are and when you jump into that. You also mm -hmm. talked a little bit about agency. And for me, agency is also uh, figuring out whether people need protection, whether oh, they need uh, some kind of support, or whether we can just give them the benefit of you have agency, you are strong, you are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole person, and you yes. know how to stand on your own in this world. And that this brings up uh, an interesting quote from Marcus Aurelius that I posted uh, recently and I found recently, and it was interesting, um, who said, choose not to be harmed and you won't feel harmed, don't feel harmed, and you haven't been. So mm -hmm. it's a choice, right? And there are many choices that we do in this life and in today's world, <clears throat> choice goes either way. But also, yeah. uh, I'm wondering, you said kind of when you were talking about Orsk and you chose to basically say, I have no clue what's going on. Mm -hmm. Pretty much in a group of people who are like, yeah, that's the best thing since sliced bread and we are all excited. So it takes that agency, it takes safety, it takes sometimes God to actually raise your hand and say, I am the dumbest person in the room here. I have no clue what's going on. And my question will probably be like absolutely out of the blue, but here goes. And we teach students, we teach kind of our students in tandem that when you have these concerns, there's probably something in the system, somebody else in the system has same question and they might not feel as safe as you are. So yeah. how do you go and how do you always have that gut and kind of reveal what's going on in the system and maybe put yourself in the firing line? Um, that's, that's a great question. You've taken half of my answer out of my mouth already because this is, this, this is something that I tell people in my courses. Like uh, if you have a question, if you have an issue, if, if you are worried about something I do, um, you can be sure if you dare to say it, there are five people behind you who are, who are <laughs> finally <laughs> somebody is addressing this asshole up front. Uh, so, so one thing I, I have in my in, in my courses is I have people take a piece of paper and write down a one on it, so that they can use this card anytime in the course when they want the current speaker or the current topic to end within a minute. And I specifically tell them to use that on me because I sometimes derail on things I find exciting and uh, maybe two other people find it exciting too, but with 20 people in a class, that means 18 people don't find it exciting and then it's a good, good way of, of having me stop. Um, so because I know that when I'm in the group, I, I tend to, tend to uh, yeah, follow, follow that, follow my own advice and believe that when there's a gut feeling I have and I voice it, that I'm not, I'm not going to be the only one. Uh, plus, I know um, because I've, I've done a lot of personal development, I've done a lot of coaching, uh, coaching education, et cetera, et cetera. So I am um, quite probably aware of more that's, go that's going on uh, and I can make sense of it better. So it's easier for me to phrase something than it might be for somebody else who 
might not even know uh, how, how to ask a question yet. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, you could call it courage. It's not, it's not actually courage because courage, uh, courage means that you're afraid and you're still doing something. I'm, I'm fairly unafraid in these things because I've, I've, I've been there so often. I've been in so many classes. I've been, I've been shouted at. I've been dismissed. I've been, I, I, I can, I know I can take it. I've, I've, uh, I, I know I've survived worse than, I don't know, being told to shut up by a teacher in a class. So, um, I want to, and it's sort of a bit selfish, right? I want to take out of this course as much as I can, and if I spend uh, like an hour in contempt silently because I <laughs> that's that's uh, that's not, not helping me and I also know that content is contagious so um, it, it might might actually be toxic uh, to the atmosphere in the class so I'd rather ask a question openly and then it's out of out of my system it's off my chest and then uh, yeah usually the experience is that several people go yeah 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 absolutely yeah so we've um, talked a bit about um psychological safety from the classroom perspective but you also work as an organizational coach and mm -hmm. so what are some of the things that you do that can help clients learn to make a greater level of psychological safety in their environment um one thing i'm really explicit about is that everything is okay uh, everything is 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 and is okay and also I am a very appreciative person, so I will I will be very specifically with leaders and specifically with leaders, uh, let's say, whose performance is not obviously outstanding. So they 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 are uh, where I have a, a sense that they are either not quite aware of what they're doing, or they are uh, standing in their own way, or they really, really want something and they try it the wrong way, some, some kind of that. Like I, I, I do that so often myself, I, 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 I recognize that. And I will, I will do two things. I will acknowledge what I see them doing really, really well, and there's always something. I will also acknowledge what I see them wanting really, really, really hard. And I will tell them how I have been stuck. So I will not point at them. Hey, you are you, you have your feet tied together and you're trying to run. And could you please look down and then you see why it's not working, you dumb ass. That's not what I'm going to do. But I'm going to acknowledge what they are trying to do. And then I'm going to share something like when I was in a similar situation, I tried this and I tried this and it didn't work because of this and this and this. So I'm gonna gonna direct. Uh, negative feedback, so to say, at myself and share something, um, how I uh, like sabotaged my own success. And that, and sometimes that's like uh, taken as an interesting story and it's a relationship building thing and they go like, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's uh, taken as like, oh, hmm. <laughs> let me check my feet. And, and uh, that's, that's, something that, um, that, that, that I do. Another thing that I do is specifically with leaders, uh, especially when they're leaders in the room in some way. So when they, uh, for, for instance, when they host a meeting as a boss or when they address the people or when they uh, 
I don't know, when we talk through a strategy of how they want to communicate X, etc., I will I will play the the listener. I will I will play back what I would hear they say if I were their employee. Um, so I would I would I would put myself into into their staff's shoes and say, hey, given your history, given the role, given how we perceive you, that's how we're going to understand you. And is that the message you really want us to hear? Um, and and this is especially with this with with, with these um, subtleties with safety. Like um, we, we had a discussion about upwards feedback uh, in a course last week, and uh, somebody said it's important that you listen, so that you when when you when you allow your employees to give you feedback that you really listen and that you really pay attention. And then I said, well, yes, but that's not enough. You need to actually change. They need to, especially when it's a new thing for them to give feedback upwards, they need to see that it makes a difference. So, so um, don't ask for feedback if you're not ready to make a change. Um, that's, the, that's the worst thing you can do, right? Then you, you, you kind of make it safe to say something, but you also make it meaningless and that way, you're killing the engagement that you want to create. Right. That's probably the worst thing you can do after you don't ask for feedback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, so, so some things that came to my mind, yes, yeah, psychological safety is all great. Right. And you talked about like, uh, well, I'm usually that guy who just kind of knows that nothing, nothing will fall over and die and the skies will not fall on me if I open my mouth and all that. And then uh, kind of when coming to the teams, well, yes, we want to create a space to give open feedback and all that. But how do you reconcile this with, with kind of position of relative comfort? Yes, I know it's safe. Yes, I know I want to open my mouth, but I'm kind of feel I'm kind of feeling okay. I've come here like eight, I live at five, I do my job, and you know what kind of not to not to stir the pot, right? And it's 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 just comfortable for me. That's what I do. And if I open my mouth, yes, probably something good will come out of that. But it's change, it's uncertainty, it's unknown. Yeah. I know I will not be killed. Mm -hmm. But do I want to do that? So how no, do you don't. recommend safety with maybe comfort and maybe just too much comfort? Yeah, absolutely. I I would I would uh, commend people for that. I would I would actually I would explicitly say uh, I would ask in a group, for instance, who of you has has uh, what's the metaphor you use? Stirring up something. Stirring up the pot. Stirring up the pot. Who has who who has that written in their job description? None of you, right? None of you, all of you has written that you're working from nine to five. None of you has stirring up the pot in your job description. This is not what you signed up for. So, so change needs to be voluntary. And one of the things, one, what, what, the, the worst kind of thing I've done systematically in my career as an agile coach is believing that I could tell people how to change, believing that I could, I could know better how they should be wanting to work. Um, and that, if that I could detect their unhappiness and that I could be responsible for them wanting to be happier. Um, and that's, it's a, it's a subtle art of being condescending, 
but it's still it's still patronizing and condescending and it's violence. So um, being okay with skepticism. I, I had this wonderful scrum training. I think it was my first public scrum training at Agile 42 where we had very, very adversary uh, people in the training and the, the thing got heated. We really didn't know what was going on. At some point, one of the elder employees was like, um, I don't know, been in the company for 25 or more years. And he was getting up, he was thumbing his fist on the on the desk. And he was like, I've had enough of this. <laughs> there are people upstairs, they're getting the big money, they have the big offices, they have the big cars, they are paid for management. We are paid to do the work. And now you are selling us this bullshit where we should be managing our own work. Fuck off. And he was, he was really, he was so honest and he was heated and <laughs> and then everything blew up but also everything relaxed because he finally had voiced the the problem in the room and then later that week we had a conversation with all of these people and management that was one of the most difficult conversations i've had to lead in my career so far still um but it but it was a great insight for me it was like yeah these people didn't ask to be managers they were, they were software developers and testers and engineers, and they had not asked for management responsibility and they didn't want it. And that's okay. Creating a culture where maybe after a while, these people get that they might have more fun at work when more engaged, when more autonomous, when more whatever. If, if they choose that, that's awesome. But it's not up on us to, to choose that at least not as external uh, coaches. That's a different thing for leaders, right? As leaders, we have, a, we have a choice and we have a decision that we need to make. We need to make a decision like, do we want this improvement culture? And then some of our employees will leave and we can again have a choice how, how we're gonna handle that, how we're gonna help them find a better place to work, etc. Or we have a choice to say, okay, this change will take a long time but we are patient enough to wait until everybody has actually chosen this transformation. One of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard about agile transformation uh, was um, a friend of mine was, was uh, at Deutsche Telekom in the, the, the big German uh, telco in, in a city close to Berlin. And I think he worked there for a year or two and it was a big transformation, etc. And uh, half a year, after he left, he got an email from one of the eldest employees, somebody who was over 60, who had been, been at Telecom for 30 or more years, and uh, who had been extremely against the transformation all the time. It really, really made, made his life hard. And in the email, it said, I want to thank you. Um, last night I came home and my wife asked me, what's wrong with you? You've never come home from work with a smile in 30 years. And then I realized what you've done for us. And then I realized how you've changed my workplace and how I now have changed. And I'm grateful that you did this. And I'm grateful that you, you and, and my employer gave me the time to actually adjust to it and now enjoy it. And so I like funny. that. What's wrong with you? You are smiling. <laughs> and I, I, I like the story for two reasons. One, because it's like heartwarming. And yeah, it's, it's, it's great that we get to change people's lives in such a beautiful way. 
but it's also important because not every company is uh, patient enough, slow enough in their change and have has resources enough like that big telco um, to afford every employee have the, make this change at their own pace. And what I see very, very often is leaders not having the guts to, 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 to say, okay, this is the culture we want. These are the boundaries we're setting. And these are the people we need on the journey. And so, so, so as leaders, we need to be, that, that's a very different stance we need than as, as coaches coming in from, from the outside. I just wanted to add that because this is the, the not setting boundaries is, is the most uh, detrimental thing you can do uh, to safety. Because those people who who are who um, who abuse the system because of lack of boundaries, they will be happy, <coughs> or well, maybe not happy, but the, <coughs> they will be okay with that. But for all of the people who are just doing the hard work and who are actually supporting the change, <coughs> you're you're killing their engagement because they see that not supporting the change is okay too. Well, if it's stories like yours that I've said often, this is why it, what I do, not just because it yeah. changes organizations, but because it changes humans and it changes their yeah. relationships. And that's when you know you're really making a difference. When they come tell you, my husband or my wife said, or my child said, yeah. I'm different. They noticed I listen now. Okay. Yeah. And this is also what... what it helps me not be frustrated when the change in the organization gets stalling or finished or um, burns out or is, I don't know, um, I don't know a good word for this, like, like stamped out. Yeah. <laughs> um, because then these people will leave and they will create better organizations elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So we are, so, so, so we, we are changing an, an, an ecosystem over time. Uh, we might not be successful with every organization we coach or every organization we lead, um, but we are uh, always successful with the people that we help change. Yeah, definitely impacting lives. And I, I want to kind of swing over to the other side. So we talked a bit about, you know, psychological safety, people feeling like they're safe <clears throat> and that it's not the same as comfort. I've also noticed that psychological safety is not, it's not synonymous to just being nice. In fact, I've worked many times with many people who are, who are very nice and I felt extremely unsafe with them because yeah. sometimes they're just too nice and it feels either passive aggressive or not real. Like there's something creepy about this nice, this level of nice. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> So yeah, what are your what are your thoughts about you know? I guess how do we how can we um, have real conversations with people that are respectful, psychologically safe, and don't have this kind of fake niceness that refuses to have conflict. Uh, embracing conflict is 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 something. Um... Be honest. So one thing that the, 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 the thing that I do most often from the ORSC, uh, we started with that, so we might as well come back to that. Uh, the ORSC exercise that I do most often is designing a team alliance. Uh, 
and having people collaborate on what's the atmosphere we want to work in together. And that's the definition of safety, right? Safety is sometimes mentioned, sometimes not explicitly mentioned, but that creates the, let's say it creates the ground. And then when you ask the second question, how do we want to be with each other? Or how do we want to show up when things get rough, when things get difficult? And then people say what they need when things get difficult. And that does two things. A, it makes difficult okay. So it kind of it, it invites the conflict. You don't, you don't say, no, no, that needs to stay outside. And uh, then people say something like patient, uh, forgiving, honest, respectful. And then one thing I always add to that conversation is, okay, these are great rules for when things get difficult and they need to apply to N minus one of us at any given time. Because if we all abide by these rules all the time, our meeting will just be boring. And we'll never, and we'll never get too difficult. It's okay to one of them, uh, one of us lose our respect uh, or lose their respect, lose their patience, lose their whatever, right? They can, they, they can be totally off kilter as long as all of us keep a safe space and are patient, forgiving, respectful, et cetera, et cetera, and then they can come back. Um, and I think that's, that's an important thing for everyone to understand that it's not rules like, okay, I can't say anything out of line here, but it's, it's okay to be difficult as long as we know how to, how to make it less difficult again and how to be okay with that. And, and I think um, what we need to demonstrate as leaders, this is leaders of organizations, leaders in the room, leaders of conversations. Um, we need to demonstrate the level of tension we are okay with. So that, so, so that we use opportunities uh, to demonstrate to people that, yeah, it's okay to have a different opinion. It's okay if you have different opinions, but it's also if, okay if you, have an, if you don't like my opinion. Um, so that's a, that's sounds, sounds, sounds like book. a designated troublemaker for a meeting. Not really. Um, I, I I wouldn't call it trouble. I I, I would say it's it's uh, it's it makes for interesting meetings. Um, maybe for something that temporarily looks like trouble, but then actually it's not trouble because because you managed to use the tension to create something new. Well, sometimes trouble results in something new and something good, right? Yeah. And so, uh, all right, Olaf. So uh, we are half through 2021. I can hardly believe we are six months into this, right? And 2020, True. whatever. Let's, we cannot forget it, but let's forget it at least for a moment. So, um, best year ever. <laughs> what's next for you for the next six months in 2021? What are you working on? Um, I'm still spending a lot of my time doing uh, certified agile leadership trainings. Um, and uh, I have made really, really great experiences with online trainings. So and I, I will keep doing that, even though we are going back slowly to in-person trainings as well. Um, so I definitely want to put more attention into that, build more of an online education system around it so that people can uh, engage in various ways 
uh, with the content that I'm producing, not just live during during the course. Um, I have a this kind of kind of advanced leadership course uh, called Mastering Relationships that we've run four times so far, and uh, we're we're currently working on um, like like uh, clarifying the theory beneath that. Um, making it more crisp, what, what's our model of relationship development, um, which is the core of my leadership development courses as well, and kind of, kind of re, reinventing that course a bit for the autumn version, which is scheduled for October. Um, then I do mentoring in the, in the context of uh, Shiri and I are in the Certified Enterprise Coaches community of Scrum Alliance, and we're both quite active there. Um, so I, I, I mentor coaches towards uh, those certifications. I think that's, I, I am writing on a book in German. Um, I hope to finish it by the end of the year. Um, if that's the case, then next year there would be an English version. Uh, it has a very catchy title. If Agile is the solution, I want my problem back. Love it. <laughs> um, the, pr the, prob I, the problem was better than the solution. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and so uh, people who want to work with you, who want to get uh, to learn more about your leadership uh, classes and uh, mentoring, uh, how do they contact you? The easiest is probably just to go to my website, trusttemenos.com. And uh, yeah, find out about the courses, about our leadership academy. Um, you would also find another book there. Um, yeah, or yeah, get in touch via via email or Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, the usual channels. I'm not as socially um, active as I used to be when I was traveling all week. Uh, now that I actually have a life at home, I, I have a lot less uh, time to uh, time to kill uh, with my phone. Um, but I'm. I'm, I'm still available and I, I, uh, I absolutely uh, love to be drawn into conversations like this one. All right. So trustteminus.com and we will post some links with this podcast so that people uh, can find you. Well, Olaf, thank you so much for spending some time with us and talking about such an important and such a kind of um, acute topic uh, in today's environment, psychological safety. Uh, and I wish you many more of those stories where people uh, come to you and tell you how you affected their lives. Even maybe the whole transformation thing just got stumped out, right? Uh, that's really what matters. Uh, so yeah. thank you so much. And that has been uh, Tandem Coaching Academy, Skipping Agile Coaching, Non-Denominational Podcast. And we were your hosts today, I, Alex Kudinov and Sherry Silas. Goodbye now. <laughs>